0: A priest, a prophet, a politician, and a poet walk into a church. If this was a joke, I would have said they walked into a bar, okay? <laughs> but they walked into a church today because what do they all have in common? They're all in 1 Samuel. Alright, not to mention they all start with P, right? Us pastors, we like that. Alliterations, since I'm helping my son with ELA, I know what an alliteration is now. Uh, but a priest, a prophet, and a politician, and a poet. And um, in this, uh, we see those four people, more than anything, in 1 Samuel, they wanted to hear from God, his plan. And that's the title that I have for you this morning, God, hearing God's plan. Um, He has a plan. Raise your your hand, say amen if you think God has a plan. All right, awesome. Because I believe he does too. The question is though, can you hear it? And isn't that what we want? We want to hear God's plan. And in this um, book, 1 Samuel, we're going to see that some of, them, some of these men, godly men, they didn't hear God's plan. And there's a reason for it, and that's what I want to reveal to you. I, wanted, I want you to see that. So before we get into it, though, I need to give you a little background because we've been jumping around the Bible. If you've been reading the Bible um, this year, like trying to keep up with the reading plan, I've moved us around in some different places, so it's nice to kind of get a recap of where we're at. So just so you know, God's people, the Jewish people, the Israelites in the Old Testament they're called, you know, they were slaves in Egypt, and that's when they really grew exponentially as a a nation, and it was the course of 400 years that they were in there in Egypt, but then they became slaves because they were so great, and so when they got out of slavery, okay, Moses led them out of slavery, they were led by God, and that's called a theocracy. Theo being God. So there was no democracy. It was a theocracy. And they were led by Moses, and then they were led by Joshua, who was Moses' right-hand man, and he took over for him. So Moses, then Joshua, Joshua takes them into the Promised Land. That was last week's message, right? We read through Joshua, the victorious life that they had in the Promised Land. So they head into the Promised Land as a theocracy, Now, what happens after Joshua? We read read last week, right? We saw in Joshua, they followed God. Like, God was their leader. It It was a wonderful theocracy for the time that Joshua had led them. Now, the next book is the book of Judges. And we've already covered that. And you might remember, that's that roller coaster, right? 300 years of a roller coaster, where really it was theocracy, anarchy. Theocracy, anarchy. I mean, the end of Judges 21-25 says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I mean, that's how they summed it up. Anarchy. But then, 300 years later, about 1100 B.C., Samuel is born. And Samuel is really the last judge, but the first prophet of the new monarchy, as we will see. In 1 Samuel, we see characters, man. There are are some really amazing characters in there. I love this book. Of course, it tells the unforgettable story of David and Goliath, right? I mean, how many of you have read that story to your kids, heard that story, the David and Goliath story? It has multiple lessons on leadership. If you ever wanted to be a leader, man, read 1 Samuel, because you're going to see bad leadership and good leadership in 1 Samuel. It also illustrates... Really what I'm focusing on this morning is man's great desire to hear from God, to hear his plan. And that's the thing I want you to remember. God has a plan. Can you hear it? Because these people wanted to hear it. Why would you want to hear from the Lord? That's a question maybe you don't even ask. Maybe you just know, I want to hear from God. I want to get closer to God. I want to feel his presence. But but why should you want to hear from God? Because he knows everything, right? If you ever read Psalm 139, you know David says this. He knows everything. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful, right? He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. I mean, here's a God who knows you better than you know yourself. And honestly, that's an understatement. He knows you better than you know yourself. That's the God that we serve. David's response, in verse 14, I love it. I'll put it up on the screen for you. Verse 14, I praise you. You know this. I praise you, David says, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. That's our God. He knows us. He made us. He knit us together in our womb, in our mother's womb. Then in verse 16, though, if we keep reading, now we usually stop there because we like that verse a lot. Right, but But if you keep reading verse 16, it says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Why do you need to hear from God? Because right there, what does it say? He has a plan. Your days have been formed. God has this wonderful plan for you. And wouldn't it be a tragedy if you lived your whole life And you never discovered God's plan for it? You know, as an athlete, as a coach, I should say, I've seen a lot of athletes, coached a lot of athletes that had potential. And that's a dangerous word. Because when someone doesn't reach their potential, we say that's a disappointment. What a disappointment that person was because they didn't reach their potential. When you don't know God's plan, you can never reach your potential. What a tragedy it would be to not know God's plan, to struggle your whole life and not know what his plan is for you. God has a plan. Can you hear it? Now, God speaks to Eli, the priest, Samuel, the prophet, Saul, the politician, and David, the poet. We're going to look at all their their lives today. Eli, the priest, is where we're going to begin and I'm going to fire through a lot of scripture here, um, so um, you can uh, try to follow along, or you can, uh, if you want, I can send you these scriptures later on. But if you read the through 1 Samuel, these will, will hopefully ring a bell. 1 Samuel begins with um, a mother. Samuel's not born yet. Samuel's mother, Hannah, is without child. She cannot conceive a child. She's praying in the temple for a child, and guess who's the priest in charge of the temple. Eli, right? We don't know a lot about Eli. But what we do know is that he responds to Hannah's prayer. He recognizes that she's praying. Well, first he thinks she's drunk because her mouth is moving but nothing's coming out kind of a thing. And uh, he, she clears it up for him. <laughs> and uh, he, he um, tells her this in verse 17 of chapter 1. He says to Hannah, Go in peace, the God of Israel will grant your petition that you have made to him. Now when I read that, and after reading the whole book, I thought to myself, and you'll see why in a second here, why I thought this. Did he really hear from God that Hannah would receive a child? Or was he just going through the motions as sometimes we do? Priests, pastors, clergy, church leaders, even Christians... Sometimes we go through the motions. It's real easy to show up for church and and then, you know, kind of sing along but never really think about the words you're singing. To to put up with me speaking for 30 minutes and then go home and never really be changed. Never really make a difference to you. Going through the motions. I kind of wonder if maybe Eli was a little just going through the motions here. I don't know for sure, but I'm just this sort of wondering that. There's a pastor that my, uh, my sister um, goes to church about an hour from here. She, she lives on the other side of town. And, and I just found out that um, her pastor, they're actually, the church leaders of, of his church are putting him on sabbatical for four months because he's been preaching in such a way that it's, it's kind of been harsh. And uh, so they're, I love it that they're not firing him Right, and conspiring to get rid of him, but they're actually doing what's biblical and saying, here, you need to take a sabbatical, and you need to rest and recover and see what God is doing. You need to hear from God during this sabbatical. So Eli was not hearing from God, I don't believe, as you'll see why in a second. He also had a problem with his kids, right? He's um, not a father who disciplined his children. Now, I can't say he's not a good father. I almost said that as I was thinking through and writing out my notes. I almost said he's not a good father. But you know what? What do we have in Scripture here? A snapshot of his life. We don't know. I mean, he served for 40 years. We don't. This is the end of his ministry here. We don't know his whole life. It's a snapshot. It's like Facebook, right? You get a snapshot of a person's life. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes, you don't know what happened before that picture they put on there, right? Or whether it's Snapchat or Instagram or whatever it is that you follow on social media. You don't know what's happening outside of that. When I post that big giant fish that I caught, you don't know how many hours I fished without catching anything. <laughs> they look good though, don't they? When I get <laughs> e- Eli made his sons uh, priests like himself. Verse uh, 12 of chapter 2 The sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord, yet they were serving as priests. That's scary. Verse 17, their sin was great in the sight of the Lord. They treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. In fact, it gets even worse. Verse 22, Eli was old. He kept hearing what his sons were doing. They would lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of the meeting. They were sleeping around. Imagine what that did to people's faith. You know, as a church leader, as an elder um, of this church, elders and deacons need to make sure they understand the high calling that they're doing because, first of all, the, the, the devil will attack church leaders, and we must be faithful because of what it might do in the eyes of everyone. I mean, that's what the world wants to see. It wants to see people like me fail, right, and fall. But God has a plan. And we need to follow that plan. Um, Eli's response. He knows his kids are messing up. What does he do? Verse 23. He said to them, Why do you do such things, my sons? I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. But it says they wouldn't listen to their father. Now, here's where the father needs to put the hammer down. It's Hammer time, Right? But all he does is throw out empty threats. Perhaps you had a parent growing up that liked to blast you with lots of threats. If you don't clean your room, you're going to get a whooping. If you don't pick up your socks, I'm going to ground you. And it was empty threat after empty threat. Maybe you had a parent like that. Maybe that's kind of how you've been parenting. My question to you is, do you dare to discipline your children? One of the best books I ever read. Unparenting by James Dobson, dare to discipline. Do you dare to discipline? How many times do you have to say it before they obey it? Should be once. Should be once. But can you discipline with love and respect? Or do you discipline out of anger and rage? That's a hard one for me. Right? That's something that's hard because we get mad i got to tell you, it's not fun to discipline. I don't like it. But it's necessary if we're going to shepherd our child's heart. The best book I ever read on parenting, Shepherding Your Child's Heart. Love that book. Recommend it to everyone. Eli did not discipline his children. It says in verse 13, I declare to him, I'm going to punish his house forever. For the iniquity he knew, his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. God was not pleased with Eli. In fact, This is where I know that he wasn't hearing from the Lord. Verse 1 of chapter 3, the boy Samuel was with Eli in the temple. We'll find out why in a second Um, when we get to Samuel. But the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Eli was not hearing from God at that point in his ministry. He may have before, but he was not then. And I think it's primarily because he was not disciplining his. He was not taking care of his house. One of the requirements of an elder and a deacon You must take care of your family. You must lead your family well. Now, just because we fail doesn't mean God's plan fails. Praise God for that. That's right. In 1 Samuel 2, verse 35, we see a prophecy of the Messiah, 1,100 years before Jesus comes. I will raise up for myself, he says in verse 35, a faithful priest who shall do according to what's in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. 1100 B.C., God is declaring that I'm going to give you a high priest that will be anointed forever. And what does Hebrews declare? That Jesus is that high priest. He is our high priest. God always has a plan. Can you hear it? There were a lot of battles in that time. Even though Joshua had gotten them into the Promised Land, they were still fighting these battles. We saw it all through Judges. But there's still battles going on, especially with those, um, those uh, crazy Philistines, right? Goliath, of which is one of them. The people of God would do something when they would go into battle. They would take the Ark of the Covenant with them. It was their, I won't say lucky charm, but it was their, their faith. They were putting their faith in God as they went to battle. And the Ark of the Covenant was stolen by the Philistines in a, battle that they lost badly. And when the the word got back to Eli, when he was older, and he found out they had stolen the ark of God, it says in verse 18 of chapter 4, Eli fell over backwards from his seat by the side of the gate, and he broke his neck and he died, because he was old and heavy, and he judged Israel 40 years. But he died not hearing from God. Probably had a good beginning, maybe, maybe not. I don't know, we don't know anything about his it. beginning of his priesthood. But the end was not good. Thankfully, we have a good example next, and that's Samuel. Samuel comes from a praying mother. A praying mother. Hannah is praying, verse 10 of chapter 1. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord. She wept bitterly. She wanted a child. Let me tell you, the world needs... Righteous, praying mothers. Do you know a great and godly leader? I will bet that there is a great and godly mother that raised him. Think about Timothy. We won't get to Timothy, even though it's part of our reading. Well, I'll do that as a Facebook Live study. But Timothy had his grandma and his mother, Eunice and Lois, that raised him, that poured into him, that prayed for him. Well, God blessed Hannah with a son. Right? A son. She dedicated him to the Lord. She named him Samuel. By the way, what does Samuel mean? God hears. God heard my prayer. And God hears. Hannah dedicates him. He grows up in the temple with Eli. He heard God's voice at a very young age. He didn't even know it was God's voice. Isn't that interesting? How many times does God speak to you before you recognize his voice? Three times it's kind of comical. Three times he hears his name being called, and he goes to Eli. Uh, You called? Eli's like, I didn't call you. Go back to bed, kid. hears it again. Goes, wakes up Eli. You called me? I didn't call you. Go back. After the third time, Eli's like, Oh, it's God. God's talking to Samuel, and he tells him what to do. And Samuel hears God's voice. And from there on out, verse 20, it tells us that all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. He was hearing from God and he judged Israel all the days of his life. Now, Samuel did have some trouble with his boys, too, which kind of now this is two for two and uh, just tells you, you know, you need to watch out for the pastor's kids. They're good kids, but you never know. <laughs> Chapter 8, verse 1, Samuel became old. His sons were judges over Israel. Verse 3, his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. This is where the conclusion that I came to. Just because you're a man of God doesn't make you a good father. It's work. It's work. You've got to work at it. Now, here's the best part. Men love a challenge. Right? Men love a challenge. So you give a man a challenge and say, hey, you got to work at being a good father. Right? You, you, now, there are some things, like I was just joking with Ryan and Frosty. They, they came over for a visit. They have a newborn. And uh, up to six months, I don't know what to do. Okay? The first six months, Ellie and Ethan were born. I'm like, okay, they just want to cry and eat, and they want their mother. <laughs> six months came, though, and they got to be fun. You know, they started changing, they started doing stuff, right? Said my name first, you know. I don't, no, I don't know if they did or not. But they were fun, you know. But it's a challenge. Now, John Eldridge wrote some great books. One of his bestsellers is called Wild at Heart. It's a book for a man, a manly man, all right? But then he also wrote a book called Fathered by God. And I recommend that to all fathers to raise their, their boys and their daughters, Fathered by God. And by the way, since Father's Day is coming up, if you'd like that book, you send me a text or email me. I'll buy that book for you as my Father's Day gift to you. Okay? Fathered by God, John Eldridge. What a great read that is. It's possible, though, just want a disclaimer here, that Samuel was a good father. Just because your kids make mistakes, right, in life, doesn't mean you were a bad parent. Right? We just want, I want to point that out. I mean, kids have to make their own way. Um, we, we can't control them. But there is a proverb that says if you train them in the way that they should go, in the end they will not depart from it. So there is hope for them if you do the, the things you're supposed to do. First Samuel 8, verse 6. Um, Samuel had to deal with a nation that wanted a king. They didn't want a theocracy. They wanted a monarchy. And we're going to find out why they wanted it. But he was very displeased. They said, give us a king. And Samuel didn't know what to do, so he prayed to God. God, this is wrong. I know it's wrong. But they're begging for a king. What do I do? And God responds. Verse 7, he says, I have a plan. Can you hear it? And Samuel's like, yeah, I can hear it. I hear you, God, because... That's what his name means, right? I hear. So, verse 7, the Lord says to Samuel, Obey these people. They have not rejected you, Samuel. They have rejected me from being king over them. And by the way, I love that verse because it reminds me of when you share your faith with someone. If you're going to share your faith with someone, and I know there are people that are zealous about sharing their faith. They want to see people, understand the truth, and be saved. Go to heaven. And when we share our faith with people and they reject it, understand they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. And that, to me, is comforting because I don't like to be rejected, first of all. But we have to understand that sometimes for people it's a process and we need to keep praying for them, that their heart would be softened, that the word that we preach, God would use. Right? God takes our words and uses them to save people. So, they are not um, rejecting Samuel. They're rejecting God. And they want a king. And Samuel explains to them, if you have a king, he's going to oppress you. Right? He's going he's to take money from you. He's going to put you to work and so on and so forth. But they said, we don't care. Verse 19. They didn't obey Samuel. They said, no, we want a king. Here's why. It's a terrible reason why they want a king. But it's important for us to hear it today. Verse 20: that we may also may be like the other nations. That our king will judge us and go out and fight our battles. So we can be like the rest of the world. What does Romans 12:2 tell you? Don't conform to the pattern of the world. Don't do it. You don't want to be like everybody else. You're supposed to be holy. You're Christians. Set apart. That's what holy means. Set apart from the world. Serving God. And they want to be like other nations so they say, give us a king. They don't care about God's plan. They don't want to hear it. They have stubborn hearts. Don't be like these people. Don't live your life like them. Don't try to fit in with the world. Set yourself apart. Now we turn to Saul, the politician. (laughs) I'm joking, okay, I, 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 I'm sure there are really good politicians out there, okay, I don't want, I don't want you to think that, you know, I'm being uh, mean towards them, but it's an election year, so we can pick on politicians a little bit, I guess. I think it's fascinating how Saul and Samuel connect, right, like, these two people should not connect, but God has a plan, right, and his plan is, is to connect them. Because Samuel needs to anoint Saul as the next king. Because without Samuel's anointing, Saul will be a nobody. Nobody's going to respect him. Samuel they listen to. He hears from the Lord. So they want to hear him, what Samuel says. Well, Saul is out. Okay, he's got a job to do. He's looking for an ass. All right, and you should say, look in the mirror, Saul. Not a good joke, I guess. Actually, he's looking for a lot of asses. All right? Now, if you're reading the King James Version, you'll see that word in there because that's how they translated it. But literally, Saul is out looking for donkeys. Okay? All right, I got your attention. In case you fell asleep there. Wait a minute, did he just swear? What? What's going on? Yeah, he's out looking for donkeys. He can't find them. So his helper says, hey, listen, there's a seer spelled S-E-E-R, a seer, right? That's what they call them, right? Verse 9 of chapter 9 says, Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he would say, Come, let us go see the seer. For today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And at the same time that Saul and his friend are looking for their donkeys, and they get in their mind to go find the seer to help him out, that seer, by the way, is Samuel, Samuel gets a word from the Lord that, there's going to be a man that comes to visit you, and you are to anoint him as the king that these people are asking for. God has a plan, right? He puts these two together. Now Saul has a good, ending, but a, tra- or a good beginning, but a tragic ending. If you read it, you read it, he does have a good beginning. But ultimately, he does not hear from God. He does not listen to God's plan. In fact, he cares more about what the people want than what God wants. And he bows to the people more than to anything else, to God. He's prideful, he's pompous, like I said, like some politicians. What's his main responsibility as king? They wanted someone to lead him in the battle, right? So that's his job. He's going to take him in the battle. And this is where you see that he is just in it for himself. He's very prideful. And his main, uh, his, his, um, His son, Jonathan, is the real hero in the story. If you read it, you know what I'm talking about. Here's the point. uh, First of all, the first mistake I think Saul makes or you can see the kind of person, the character that he has. He's going into battle, and he has um, an army of 3,000. And he's going into battle, and he's the leader, and his son is the leader. Now, if I'm going to send my son into battle... I'm going to make the sacrifice. I'm going to give him whatever he needs to be successful. I'd rather go with less so he can have more, so he can be successful. That's the kind of parent that I am. I'm sure you are too. Not Saul. You know what Saul does? Jonathan, you take 1,000. I got 2,000. That's what he does. I got 2,000 soldiers. You take 1,000. Good luck, boy. Now, he's sitting on his butt Jonathan goes into battle, verse 3, defeats the garrison of the Philistines that was at Geba, and the Philistines heard it, and guess what happens next? This part will make you laugh. Saul blew the trumpet throughout the land saying, let the Hebrews hear. He literally toots his own horn. I did it. No, you didn't. Your son did it. But all Israel heard was, verse 4, Saul defeated the garrison, a garrison of the Philistines. Now the Philistines are really mad. They they get this huge army together. And the Israelites are so scared, they need an underwear change, okay? They're hiding under the rocks. They're they're dwindling down. There's 3,000. Now there's 600. In the meantime, they're waiting for Samuel to come and give him a word from the Lord. Saul can't hear from the Lord, but Samuel can. And they're waiting for him. Seven days they're supposed to wait. But in the meantime, they do something, well, Saul, their leader, does something really wrong, okay? Seven days, the people are leaving, and he is a politician, right? Man, he's like, he's a bad leader, I mean, ultimately, right? These people are leaving, they're hiding, they're dwindling down, look at the army, it's going away. And what does he do, verse 13, verse 8, chapter 13, verse 8? He waits seven days, what Samuel said to wait, But Samuel didn't come, and the people were leaving him. Verse 9, Saul says, Bring the burnt offering to me and the peace offerings, and he did Samuel's job. What a mistake. What a mistake. Saul gives us lots of lessons on poor leadership. A little bit later on, verse 24 of chapter 14, the Israelites were hard-pressed, and Saul makes an oath. He says, Nobody eats until we win, right? Nobody eats no soup for you, okay? That'll resonate. Verse 27, Jonathan doesn't hear this from his father, doesn't hear this, this charge. So what does he do? Well, he's hungry, so he finds some honey, puts his staff in it, and eats it. Face lights up, it's honey, right? It's an instant, it's actually one of the... Um, natural things that we could have that give us instant energy. And he's like, yeah, this is great. But they told Jonathan, oh, you're not supposed to eat. Your dad said, nobody eats until we win. And he said what all teenagers say when a parent gives a rule. That was stupid. <laughs> Your rules are stupid. You don't know what you're talking about. You've never been a teenager before. <laughs> For once, a parent's rule is stupid. <laughs> and, uh, but, but Saul is so selfish and self-centered, he actually says in verse 44, God do so to me, and more also, if I don't kill you now, Jonathan, he's going to kill his own son, because he didn't obey his little rule, but the people saved Jonathan. Saul messes up again, this time it's even worse. uh, Samuel tells Saul, you need to go and strike Amalek. Devote to destruction everything. Don't spare anything. I know it's hard to read sometimes that that they would destroy women, children, infants, oxes, sheep, camel, dock, save nothing, okay? This is, a, this is a bad nation, okay? And Saul goes into the battle, wins the battle, but he spares, verse 9, the king Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen, the fat and calves and the lambs. All that was good, he saved. All that was bad, he destroyed. Well, he's confronted immediately by Samuel. What He says, what is this bleeding of sheep that I hear? I hear the sheep that you were supposed to destroy. Verse 14, he tells him that. Why didn't you kill everything? That was the command of the Lord. Now, this is the next response. Slick Saul. Verse 15, immediately, quick on his feet with the words. Well... The people spared the best of the sheep so we could sacrifice them to the Lord. That's what he says. Now, if Samuel doesn't say anything, you know he's going to keep those sheep for himself. But he makes up this story. Oh, we're going to sacrifice them to the Lord. Samuel says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To honor God is better than to show up for church and go through the motions. To honor God with your lifestyle, Monday through Saturday. Saul can't get it right. He can't hear God's voice. Samuel eventually dies, and now he's really in trouble because he really wants to hear from God. It tells us in verse 6, he inquires of the Lord. The Lord doesn't answer him. He doesn't get an answer in dreams. He doesn't hear by the Urim, which is what the priest had. He doesn't hear by the prophets. So what does he do? Oh, man, this is bad now. Verse 7. He says, seek out for me a woman who is a medium. That's a psychic. He says, I'm going to go to her and see what she can tell me. Now, I know today people find it funny, fascinating, whatever, when they, there are psychic parties out there. There are Ouija boards. There are horoscopes and fortune cookies. All right, There's all kinds of things that supposedly will tell you your future And I'm telling you, God's word is so clear on this. Don't do it. Don't do it. By the way, why would you want to hear from that when you should hear from God? Why would you care what some psychic would tell you when you can hear from God? If God wants you to know what's going to happen next Tuesday, then he'll tell you what's going to happen next Tuesday if you're listening. And that's good enough for me. Is it good enough for you? God's word also warns us of Christian psychics. They're called false prophets in the Bible. Watch out for them as well. The end of Saul's life, tragic, as I said. He was in battle, verse 4. He gets hit with an arrow. He's dying. He tells his armor bearer, stick me with your sword, end it. The armor bearer is too afraid, so he falls on his own sword. That was not God's plan. Saul was not God's plan, but David is. Our final one, David the poet. In 1 Samuel, you see David. He wrote most of the Psalms, right? He's a man after God's own heart. He's a poet, a musician. He plays the harp. He's a leader. He's a warrior. He's won many battles. And one thing's for sure, David knows God's plan. He takes time to listen for it. He was anointed as a king by Samuel long before he ever takes the throne. Long before, And then you might wonder, well, wait a minute, okay, how is this going to work out? How is God going to take this little shepherd boy, right, from a family that's unimportant, how is he going to make him king? And this is the part where it's like when you look in retrospect, because we have that, we say, wow, God had a plan, right? We struggle with it now because we want to know what's going to happen next month. What's going to happen in the fall? What's going to happen if a second wave of the virus comes through? We, we cringe and, and we get anxious about that. But then after it happens and we look back, we see it. Oh, God had a plan the whole time. Why didn't I just trust him? Right? And this is what we're seeing. We're seeing the, the back end uh, after it happens. David is a phenomenal heart player. And Saul is at a point in his life where now he's getting really bad. His mental health is really bad, right? He's having episodes. And the only way to calm him down is by music. And guess who the best harp player in town is? David. So this is how David and Saul connect. David comes and plays the harp for Saul. Then there's a battle going on. And no one's gonna fight Goliath because he's huge, right? And so, what does uh, David say, right? He he gets a word from the Lord. I've done this before with bears and lions. You read it for yourself, self, in First Samuel. Um, I won't go into it today. But David, um, through that uh, battle um, with Goliath, um, made him really famous. You know, it was kind of like his big break. Um, it's on YouTube, you know, it went viral. The, the stone was like slow-mo, like they show it hitting Goliath's forehead and he gets unconscious, you know. If you haven't seen the video, check it out, it's really cool. Alright, goes viral, David is now, that's how you get famous today, right? Viral viral videos, that's why all these youngsters are on social media, they want to make that video that goes viral. Well, Uh, David beats uh, Goliath, and uh, it's not really even that. It's what happens next. There's a little jingle that the the nation hears over and over again that literally drives Saul nuts. All right? Um, You know jingles, you know, like a good neighbor. So you know a jingle, right, when you hear it. Well, this is their jingle, verse 7. The women sang to one another as they celebrated, Right? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Oh, imagine Saul, every time he heard that little jingle, right? Drove him nuts, especially when the women are singing it, right? But David is so gracious, two times he has an opportunity to take Saul's life and take the the king, right, and become the next king. He knows he's supposed to be the next king. Two times he has the opportunity because Saul hates him, pursues him, tries to kill David. Two times he has the opportunity, but he says, how can I touch God's anointed? What a faithful, faithful man. Um, But I don't know, you you don't know the time frame uh, unless you really study it, but it's about 14 years that David's on the run. Did you know that? About 14 years, David's on the run from Saul. He's already been anointed by Samuel to be the next king, but for 14 years, he's on the run. And some of us have a really hard time going through pain and suffering. Maybe right now, you're going through some pain and some suffering, some uncomfortable times. David did it for 14 years, but did you know that in those 14 years, David wrote some of the most amazing psalms that we have today? You read the Psalms, you'll see sometimes there's a heading in front of them that says that David wrote this when he was in the cave, or David wrote this when he was running, hiding from Saul. For 14 years, even though he went through this pain and suffering, David trusted in God the whole time. In fact, James tells you, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect so you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. I know you don't want to hear that this morning but God has a plan. And sometimes that plan is for you to go through some pain and suffering, some trials and some tribulations so that he can develop you and grow you. David listened all the time for God's direction. A couple examples as we wrap it up here. Verse 2, chapter 23, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack these Philistines? The Lord said, Go, attack the Philistines, and save Keilah. Verse 6 of chapter 30. David was greatly distressed. The people were talking of turning on him, stoning him, because they were bitter in soul. But David strengthened himself. How? In the Lord. Verse 8, chapter 30. David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He said, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue david was a man after god's own heart he heard from god his plan and that's what this is all about hearing god's plan i hope that you will listen for god's plan and understand i've heard this more than once well i prayed and god didn't answer how many times did you pray how long did you wait right sometimes we got to tune in to god's voice Especially if we're a young Christian, a new Christian, it may be hard for us. Like Samuel didn't recognize God's voice. Three times God called him. He didn't really understand that that was God's voice. Jesus said, right, the shepherd's voice is what we need to follow. You need to hear that. We're going to sing one final song. I hope the priest, the prophet, the politician, and the poet have taught you something this morning. I know I've learned a lot from these four characters Um, They all wanted to hear God's plan. Some did, some didn't, but uh, we know for sure through God's word that he has a plan. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word today. Thank you that you have taught us so much, and I really haven't even gotten into the meat of this book. There's so much to learn, the friendship of, of David and Jonathan, the the faithfulness of Hannah, the mother. There's just so much that we can learn from your word. I pray, Father, we keep studying it, keep reading it, and you keep teaching us. May the word not just inform us, but transform us, change us to be more like you. We are made in your image, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen.